0: Hey ladies, welcome to the Woman Podcast. My name's Katie Beza, and I'm your host. And this episode is a continuation of a teaching series that we have started this year in 2021. So our good friends Rebecca Shatswell and Heather Hoyt will be leading us through the Gospel of Luke. And this teaching is recorded live at New Life Church in Conway. If you're local and you'd like to join in person, we would love to have you. We meet Thursdays at noon. And we hope this resource helps you as you you read along in the book of Luke. And we hope that it encourages you that you can read the word of God and you can get something out of it. So tune in and we hope you enjoy. Welcome, ladies. Uh, My name is Heather Hoyt. If I have not had the privilege of meeting you yet, and unfortunately, uh, today I will not be meeting you face to face, and I'm a little sad about that. But if I'm honest, um, I actually pray for inclement weather, so I'm also a little bit happy about this because uh, I don't know if you've been keeping track of it, but here in Conway, Arkansas, we have been in a snow drought for the last oh, four or so years. And uh, my family, we have what we call snow faith. And so just as fervently as we pray for people to be healed, we pray for snow. And so <laughs> I'm, I have a little bit of a mixture of emotions happening on the inside of me today. I'm sad that I don't get to see you face to face, but I'm also a little bit happy that we may have some inclement weather and something pretty to look at outside the windows as it's really, really cold. Um. So uh, I want to. I just want to start off by thanking you. Uh, for those of you who uh, prayed for me, I was out sick for several weeks and um, I promised you that I could tell that people were praying for me and I am back and I am healthy and whole in the name of Jesus. And I'm just so thankful. Uh, last week I was able to be here and to sit under my sister's teaching. And if if you are like me, you have discovered just how amazing my sister is. And I just want to tell you, Rebecca, uh has always been wise and she has made a habit since she was really young of just sitting at the feet of Jesus and praying and she had prayer journals when we were like in middle school and you know I'm like sawing logs on the top bunk and she's down there journaling her heart out to Jesus and um I just am so thankful to really have have witnessed her entire life loving jesus and digging into his word and and i love how the holy spirit opens up and unlocks the scriptures for her because she's so faithful to turn around and give exactly what she learns from the holy spirit and we are all better for it amen so uh that being said i want to i want to kick us off with some prayer and then let's see what the holy spirit might have to say to us today Heavenly Father, we thank you for this moment, and Holy Spirit, we invite you in. We ask that as we open up the written word of God, that you would reveal the living word of God, Jesus himself, to the extent that we may love you more fully, that we would serve you more wholeheartedly, and that we would be salt and light to this earth, that, that our affection for you would cause this world to thirst for her Savior, and that we could lead them to Jesus. In your name we pray, God. Amen. Amen. So last week, uh, and and possibly even the week before, Rebecca mentioned something that I just want to reiterate again. And she said, "We are all researchers." Meaning everyone that is listening to uh, this podcast right now, you research something in your life, whether it's recipes or fashion, or if you're like me, goat videos, uh, or your secret crushes, Instagram. And right now in this season, we just sense God asking, can I have some of your research time? And you know, our prayer and our goal of this Bible study, it is not to feed you some four course meal. The Bible calls us the salt of the earth. And the truth is that salt doesn't really feed you a meal. It makes you thirsty. And so our prayer is that you thirst for the word of God and then your lives cause the world to thirst for her savior. Amen. Amen. Well, this past week, um, I found myself uh, doing a little research. You know, Rebecca talked about being willing to ask questions. And if I'm if I'm being honest, I'm not the best like natural question asker. So maybe you're like me. If anybody can identify with this, I just want to kind of tell you some of my process when I open up the word. It, it takes work for me to think the who, what, when, where, and, and how and why. Um, and But I, I really love the idea that Rebecca's talked about. You place yourself in the story. What is it that if you were there in real time, what would you see? What would you hear? What would you feel in that moment? But when I open up the word, typically what I will do is I will read until something really catches my attention. You know, sometimes just things will just stick out to you and then I begin to research them. And so this past week, as I was prepping to teach on Luke chapter three, um, what I'll tend to do is I'll read at least Luke chapter one and then read Luke chapter 4. It's just a good rule of thumb when you approach the Word of God to read the passage uh, or the chapter that comes before the one you're reading and then the one after to get you a, a decent context. Uh, it's kind of how we keep the Word of God in its proper context, both historically and spiritually and even culturally. And so I started out this past week and I, I read I was reading through Luke's chapter Luke chapters one and two and right at the end of Luke chapter two a verse stood out to me and I want to read that to you it's in Luke two, chapter two verse 51 it says and his mother stored all these things in her heart. Now, what's just happened right here in Luke chapter two is the moment when Mary and Joseph realized that Jesus was not with them. And they took a three-day journey back to find him and they find him teaching in the temple as a 12-year-old. First of all, that's incredible. Second of all, Mary does exactly what any mama would do. And she's like, didn't you know how much this would freak us out? Basically, (laughs) and Jesus says to her, Didn't you know that I should be about my father's business? And at the end of this conversation, this verse happens. And it says, and his mother stored all these things in her heart. And I read that and I remembered that there's another place in scripture that talks about Mary doing this very same thing. It happens to be earlier in Luke chapter two, it's around verses 18 and 19, and it is the moment that the shepherds show up in the nativity story. And it says in Luke chapter 18, that all who heard the account of the shepherds were astonished but Mary kept all these things in her heart and she thought about them often. What piqued my interest about that verse was the word, but. If you know, when we're dealing with conjunctions, uh, in Luke two fifty one we have the conjunction and. That conjunction puts two things together, but the word, but as a conjunction draws a delineation between two things. And I'm reading this verse and I'm thinking, Everyone was astonished at the account of the shepherds, but... Mary kept all these things in her heart and she thought about them often. So was Mary not astonished? Like, what is the difference? And so I began to open up to blueletterbible.org. If you are not familiar with blueletterbible.org, I am telling you it is your best friend in biblical research. And so I opened up to blueletterbible.org and I thought, let me just research the word but. Well, let me just save you some time. (laughs) I will tell you that that word but Thayer's uh, is going to give you 10 paragraphs on the on the conjunction but. <laughs> and um, so I said, you, you know what, made me pick a different word to research. And so I looked at the word astonished, trying to figure out why all these other people were astonished, but it doesn't say that Mary was astonished. And then in the moment I'm reading through astonished and I'm looking at every other scripture um, within the word that contains that exact same word. And all of a sudden I felt like the Holy Spirit said, hey, will you just ask me? and I was like oh you know what my bad (laughs) okay God I'm sorry let me ask you Holy Spirit can you tell me what the difference is between these two and no quicker than I had said the word did I feel like he gave me just a simple revelation and it was this for everyone who heard the moment that the shepherds gave their account and they were astonished it was a moment of astonishment But Mary kept that astonishment in her heart and she thought about it often. So it wasn't just a moment of astonishment. It became a a repetitive astonishment for her. She thought about it often, so much so that she created a pattern, a habit in her life, and we see it still working its way out at the time when Jesus is 12 years old in Luke chapter two, verse 51. So we know that she has made a pattern in her life of storing up in her heart these wonderful, miraculous things that God has done. And I like to say that she is digging a well of wonder. She is literally storing up everything in her in this reservoir of hope within her. It is this well of wonder. And if you remember Back when Jesus is being dedicated in the temple, a man named Simeon comes and prophesies to Mary. And he says to her, Your son is destined to cause the rise and the fall of many and to expose the thoughts of others, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Now, listen, all of us have been in the seasons that pierce our souls. All of us have. And I'm sure as you're hearing me say this right now, that your mind is going back to maybe a moment that was hard for you. I could recall many moments right now that were soul piercing moments that I've walked through. So how is it that we can choose as believers to walk through those moments that are usually accompanied by the words, why, when, why not, how come and where, how do we have faith in the moments of soul piercing? Well we we take a cue from Mary who stored up that well of wonder within her. We have to store up a well of wonder in our heart because the soul piercing moments are coming. And don't you think Mary had the option when she saw her son way later on in Luke, as as we'll get to around Easter, she saw her son falsely accused, falsely tried, falsely convicted, brutally abused, laying his life down for people who had no regard for him. And in that moment, that moment, mama's heart that was pierced like a sword had gone through it. She could have just as easily shifted uh, or stuck her fist up in the face of God and said, if you knew this was coming, why did you even give him to me? I wonder if there have been any moments for us when we've had the opportunity to say, God, if you knew that being single was going to hurt so bad, why did you say that a husband who finds a wife finds a good thing? If you knew that receiving this diagnosis was going to hurt so bad, then why did you even tell us that by your wounds we are healed? If you knew, if you knew, if you knew, then why? But this isn't what Mary does in this moment. And I think the principle is clear. Mary was able to say, because she draw, she drew on the well of wonder within her, the memory of all that God had done and his goodness and his faithfulness. And she, she was able to say to herself and remind her soul, God who chose me when I was a virgin, who came and brought a message to me of a promise and a blessing of the Messiah is the same God who brought the word in the fields to the shepherd, who brought my baby boy to me, who then saw my baby boy at the age of 12, schooling the scholars within the temple. He was good then and if he was good then then he is good now as I see my son laying his life down for all of humanity it is that well of wonder within us that we draw on in the moments that pierce the soul and I just want to tell you this if you have been in a season that has been heartbreaking, where it feels as though you have been crushed in spirit. I just want to tell you that God says he is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those whose spirits are crushed. So if that's been a season you've been walking through, listen, the greatest thing that you can know is that the promise of his nearness is yours. He is here. And I just want to encourage us as much as we can begin to recall and make a regular habit of recalling the faithfulness of God, the miraculous works of God. And if you have a hard time thinking through, uh, you know, remembering when was God faithful, when were things miraculous, I want to encourage you to go back to the moment of your salvation. Because it doesn't matter if you were a church kid and you grew up in church and you never said a cuss word but you realized at some point that you needed a savior and you called on the name of Jesus or if you were you know, lost in uh, some sinful life pattern or maybe you were in gang violence, drug addiction, whatever it is and you have some what people call a big story and at some point you realized you needed a savior and so you called on the name of Jesus. It doesn't matter what your story is. The cross is always miraculous. The blood of Jesus, will never lose its power and his salvation is always a miracle so I'll encourage you go back to the point of your salvation and remember that it should have been us on that cross that Jesus took our place and in the most scandalous act of grace he laid down his life so mercifully for us and that will never lose its power or its miraculous nature amen amen ladies chapter three So we are heading into chapter three. Now, chapter three is a relatively short chapter. It has an opener and a closer, and between them is the body of the chapter. And it's really only about 20 verses within the body of the chapter. So it may be shorter on content, but I promise you this is not shorter on power. And this chapter holds something very interesting. So kind of what we know is that scholars say that it was likely that Luke was actually writing his account of the gospel as a defense for Paul who was on trial. And so this is partially the reason that it is so meticulous in detail. It also might be one of the reason that one of Luke's primary sources was Mary, the mother of Jesus, because what stands up in a court of law is not hearsay, but direct firsthand sources, Right. And so, at the beginning of chapter three, Luke kind of opens up the chapter, and he's he's like laying out uh, the cultural context of the moment of the government leaders, and he lists out the seven current governmental leaders, uh, and it is five governmental leaders and the two high priests of the temple. And he is going to start out by listing those seven governmental leaders, but by the time he reaches the end of the chapter. He is going to outline the 77 rulers in the lineage of Jesus from Adam all the way to Jesus. And what I love about this is I really think that Luke, while he's giving a defense in this gospel, I really think he's given a one-two punch here. You know, he's he is outlining your seven current governmental leaders. You've got Tiberius, the emperor of Rome, Pontius Pilate, Herod Antipas, Philip, Licinius, and then the two high priests are Anaphim. I'm combining two names. Annas and his son-in-law Caiaphas, right? These are the seven rulers of the day. And I I think he's throwing a one-two punch. He's saying, these are the current rulers of the government that will one day end. But by the end of this chapter, I'm going to outline the 77 generations of Jesus, of the government that has no beginning and will have no end. Because Tiberius, you may be the emperor of Rome right now, but Jesus is the king of kings. And I think he's throwing a good one-two punch here. And and I'm just going to... To tell you about, ran around the room when I felt like the Holy Spirit showed that to me. Um, But sandwiched in between uh, all of this is the quick lifespan and ministry of John the Baptist. But before we get there, I want to tell you something that might pique your interest. Okay, so we talk about uh, researching the Word of God and creating a thirst within yourself for the Word of God, so that. 77 generation lineage that Luke gives at the end of chapter three, you know, we've been talking about, Rebecca has been talking about the power of names and the meaning of names and now the power of the meanings of locations. And what I want to tell you two things, uh, when he talks about the lineage, uh, he begins to list out Adam all the way through Jesus and I want to tell you just a little bit about the first 10 names that are in there. And some of you may have heard this. And for some of you, just get ready and buckle up, because if you haven't heard this, this is going to make you want to run around the room, too. Um, and so the first 10 names are actually Adam to Noah, right? And so we have Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. And I want to tell you what their names are, what their names actually mean. Adam means Man. Seth means appointed, Enosh means mortal, Kenan means sorrow, Mahilal means the blessed God, Jared means shall come down, Enoch means teaching, Methuselah means his death shall bring, Lamech means the despairing, and Noah means rest or comfort. And so when you read those names in a row, it actually forms a sentence, and it says this, man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down teaching, his death shall bring the despairing rest. I'm going to read that again because it is so good. It's worth reading again. From Adam to Noah, their names mean man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down teaching his death shall bring the despairing rest. You guys, there is so much more packed away in the scriptures. I love that the Bible says that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to search it out. And as sons and daughters of God, he calls us a kingdom of priests. We are both kings and priests, and he gives us the option to dig in his word led by his Holy Spirit to these amazing truths that are hidden and tucked away. The next thing that I I just want to remind you of, um, if you look back at the beginning of chapter three, and it lists out um, from Tiberius to Annas and Caiaphas, actually the five Roman leaders, Tiberius, Pontius Pilate, Herod, Antipas, Philip, and Lysanias. And it's going to list out the area that is their territory of authority. Well, if you go online and you type in whatever your search engine is, DuckDuckGo, Google, whoever it is, and you type in map of Galilee in Jesus' day it will pull up a map that actually shows you all of these territories that are specifically named. And what you'll see is that they, these territories are kind of around the Sea of Galilee. So this is the area that we're talking about. It's just really cool to get a visual uh, when scripture is giving us uh, the lay of the land to get a, a real map visual of what we're talking about. And so just down from that, we start to step into the body of chapter three. And within the body of chapter three is the record of the ministry of John the Baptist, And in the second half of verse two, it says this. It says, at this time, a message from God came to John, the son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. And then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. And then what we see unfolding after this, This is exactly what John did. He was baptizing. He was telling people how after your baptism, you were to walk out your life to prove that you had truly repented uh, before the Lord And, you know, John was an interesting character. John was what you might call eccentric. Uh, What we know is that scripture says that he lived in the wilderness until he got this word from God. So he stayed kind of hidden away until he got a word from God that set him into his public ministry. And we're going to see that actually paralleled in the life of Jesus. But John He's an interesting soul. You'll see in, in other uh, accounts, of other gospels, that John wore camel hide for clothing. You know, And we're in a day and time that has woven fabric, but he chooses to wear camel hide for clothing, which, I mean, let's be real, that could be a thing now. Um, but he wears camel hide for clothing. He eats locusts and honey for dinner, and he lives out in the wilderness. And so he sticks out like sore thumb. Right. So he shows up on the scene and we know that the power of God is resting on him because he's going up and down the east and the west side, the banks of the Jordan River, just shouting to people that they needed to repent. And all of a the sudden they're flooding to the waters for baptism. And, and, and Rebecca said this last week or the week before, like, what would that look like in our day and time? If we just had somebody that's just standing out on the street corner, yelling at people and telling them that they needed to repent, it would have to be the spirit of God resting on them for people to receive the message that, that they're saying, right? Right. And this is exactly what we see with John the Baptist. He's got people coming to him from all over the place. It's not just your average Joe. He actually has religious leaders showing up. Of course, you know, they're thinking, what are all these crowds gathering for? Is there somebody here that's teaching something that we're not teaching in the temple? They're showing up. Soldiers are showing up. Your average Joes and fishermen are showing up and, and they're all giving their life to God and repenting. And it says in verse 15, It says everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon and they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. Now what we know from last week and the week before is that we have just come out of a period of time called the 400 years of silence meaning it had been 400 years since a prophet of God had received word for the people and gone to the people with a word. And so this says that everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon. Ask yourself this, why was everyone expecting him to come soon? If they've come through 400 years of silence, why all of a sudden are they expecting him to come soon? Well, I kind of thought through that and I thought, You know, I think it has to be because the shepherds saw what they saw in the fields. And I can imagine that when the shepherds went home from Bethlehem, they didn't just go home and not tell their wife what they saw. They had to have gone home, told their wife what they saw. And the next morning, you know, Tina got out of bed and she went over and talked to Beth and was like, Beth, you'll never guess what my husband said. And then Beth goes and tells somebody else, you will never believe what Tina's husband said and what he saw. I think word got around at that time and people knew that in terms of of timeline, If the Messiah truly was here, he's an adult at this point, and we're waiting for him to show himself, right? And so John the Baptist comes up on the scene, and he is so different, and they already know the Messiah, he's going to stick out. He's going to look different than the rest of us, right? That's what they're thinking. And so they're like, (coughs) excuse me, they're like, is John the Messiah? And so, pardon me. And so it says that John answered their question by saying this. He said, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He talking about Jesus here will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John is letting them know. I am not the one you are looking for. I am simply a mouthpiece that is saying, prepare the way because he is coming and I baptize you with water, but he is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now I want to look at this because what's the difference in this? The baptism with water and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, the way that I was raised, uh, we were raised in a very traditional church background. Uh, and truth be told, um, the majority of what we heard about the the Holy Spirit was simply when people were baptized and I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we really didn't talk about him that much. It's not that we didn't recognize that um, that he wasn't God, because I do think some people kind of treat him like he's like the weird Uncle Al of the Trinity, like kind of don't really say much about him because he might make you be weird. He might make you do weird things. He, he might be a little bit weird and we don't know what to do with him. So we just kind of don't acknowledge him. Um, but so we grew up, I grew up with like very little understanding of who the Holy Spirit was. And, uh, this idea of, you may have heard this phrase before, but you may not have heard of it, um, called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, I really did not have an understanding of this, uh, but several years back, I began to ask the Lord God, I, "I don't understand. If if there's a second baptism, does that mean the first baptism didn't work? Like, what is going on here? What is this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And if it's legitimate, if it's real, can you just take me on a journey through Scripture and show it to me?" And so, I just want to give you what. The journey that God led me on in discovering more about the Holy Spirit and what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, why it's important. Um, and so I began in John chapter 20. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm gonna grab myself a little sip of water. There's probably a fancy mute button on here, but <laughs> I did not utilize it. Um, and so in John chapter 20, we have the account. uh, This is Jesus post resurrection. Okay. So Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to die. They didn't understand it. Then Jesus is crucified and they're all hiding behind locked doors because they are afraid of Jewish leaders after the death of Jesus. And the Bible says that in verse 19 of John chapter 20, it says, suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. And he said, peace be with you as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And again, he said, peace be with you as the father has sent me. So I am sending you. Verse 22, it says, then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This moment is very important because up until this time, his disciples, the people that were following him, they believed that he was the son of God, but they could not have the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of them because they had not received the atonement of their sin. And what we know from the Old Testament is that God could not come in contact with a sinful, non-redeemed person without it causing the death of the person, because holiness can't come into contact with sin without causing death, right? And so when Jesus died, his death took our place and all of the sudden his disciples could receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit because they had fully received the atoning power of Jesus' blood. So when he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit, this is what we call the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that the Bible refers to as the guarantee of our salvation, right? Right. And how do we know that the moments after this where he references the baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't actually referencing this moment? Well, we know that because based on the timeline of when the baptism of the Holy Spirit actually happened, it was long after this moment, right? So if we take a look in Acts chapter one, this is right before Jesus ascends into heaven. Acts chapter one, verses four through five, Jesus commands them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. And I told you before, John baptized you with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In terms of timeline, this is after the moment that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So if they had already received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, what is this gift that God the Father had promised that is now called the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And just a few verses later, he says this, Acts 1.8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so... He is he is actually promising something here that the indwelling of the spirit is for the guarantee of your salvation but when the holy spirit rests upon you you receive power that is for the purpose of ministry right? This is for the the power that brings the revelation of Jesus to the world. Because again, we go back to the fact that there's a conjunction here. It's the word and meaning it combines two things. And so this says that the power of the Holy Spirit gets combined with your ability to give the gospel to the rest of the world. This is what the power of the Holy Spirit is for, right? Let's look at Acts chapter two. Verse one, verses one through four, it says, on the day of Pentecost, all of the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. And I just want you to know what happens right after this moment moment. All of these people are gathered in, uh, in in what some say, actually, this probably happened in the temple because that's the place where people have gathered um, for Pentecost. They have gathered from all over the world. This is the place where all of these different languages would have converged in one area. And so all of a the sudden, these people from all over the world come in and hear these different languages. They are hearing the power of the gospel told in their language. And Peter has a moment in he steps out and he's like, listen to me, here's what is happening. This is the power of God. This is the true gospel. And and in that moment, 3000 people give their heart to Jesus. This is exactly what Jesus said would happen in Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. It just so happened that people from everywhere were in town for this moment and all of a sudden the gospel was told to them in their own language because the Holy Spirit rested upon God's people in that moment. So the point of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, let me just say this, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it benefits you right? This is the guarantee of our salvation. But the resting upon of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't just benefit you, it's for the benefit of everyone else. It is an endowment of power for the purpose of ministry, for the purpose of the revelation of Jesus to the world. So the point of the baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't just that we receive power, it's that we receive the power to give the revelation of Jesus to the world. And so our desire is, and we don't, we don't just desire power. We desire God. The Holy Spirit is God and Jesus is the love of our lives. And he is our great, uh, he is our great source. He is the one that we are seeking and the one that we are trying to give to the world. And that is, that is accomplished in great power by the resting on of the Holy Spirit. But listen, the Holy Spirit is the power that you and I need to sustain us. You know, I can remember moments in ministry, and, and this is one of the ways that I that I kind of think about this in my life. It's one of the ways that God has kind of shown me the ability to think about this. I remember moments in ministry before I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit that I could add up these powerful moments, right? Right but there was something that happened when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when I received that endowment of power for the purpose of ministry, what happens is addition turns to multiplication. And this multiplication is evident on the day in Acts chapter two when 3,000 people gave their hearts to the Lord. And scholars say that the amount of people that were meeting that day was about 150. So all of a sudden, the church went from being 150 to being 3,150 in one day. That is not addition. That is multiplication. And multiplication happens as a result of the power of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but I know in my life, I need the power of the Holy Spirit to sustain me. I need him to encourage me, to empower me to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth that begins with taking the gospel into my home, taking the gospel into your marriage, into your parenting, into your workplace, into your schools, the marketplace, your friendships. There is not one single place where the power of God is not needed. You have the ability under his power to take the gospel into all of these places. But here's the amazing thing. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman and he will not force himself on you. So is it possible to live your Christian life or to lead in leadership, even in church ministry without the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Yes, it is. It is possible to do that because the Holy Spirit will not force himself on you. But Jesus said, you know, if you are our fathers and you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more is the heavenly father good in his gift giving as he will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask for it? So receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit is as simple as asking for it. He will not force himself on you because the fact is we know that love in order to be genuine must present a choice. And so you have the choice of salvation, which uh, most of you under the sound of my voice have chosen Jesus. If you haven't, I wanna give you a chance to do that. But if we have chosen Jesus, we've already made that decision. But God promises that there is more. And I think what we need to ask ourselves is, if there is more, do we want it? Do we want more? Can we set aside any preconceived ideas and notions about the Holy Spirit or what He does or, or what he makes people? He doesn't make people do anything? And can I just tell you, just like Pastor Robert Morris at Gateway Church says, the Holy Spirit isn't weird. sometimes people are weird, you know. And, and maybe we haven't represented him very well. But I just want you to know, ladies, that the Holy Spirit is a gift. He is a gift from the Father and the enemy has worked over time to try and get the church afraid of the very thing that God called our helper, our comforter, He's the one that is close to us. He brings us word from the Father. He is the one uh, who not only convicts of sin, but he convicts of righteousness. He's the one that is going to constantly say, hey, boo, you've been covered under the blood of the lamb. You don't have to live a life like that. You, are, you have a position of right standing before the Father, not because of anything that you have done, but because of everything that Jesus did. The Holy Spirit is the one who reminds us of that. He is our comforter. He is closer than our very breath. In fact, the Bible calls him the breath of God in our lives. And so the question today is, if there is more, do you want it? And so I just want to say, no matter what background you came from, you have an option today to ask the Father, to ask Jesus to baptize you in his Holy Spirit. And I'm going to give us a chance in just a minute um, to do that. But I actually want to jump back to Luke chapter three for just a second Because Jesus actually models both baptisms for us. So this is another example. It is proof in scripture that this is what it appears to be. Luke chapter three, verses 21 through 22. It says, one day the crowds were being baptized and Jesus himself was baptized. And as he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. What an incredible moment. Do you realize this is one of only a few moments in all of scripture where we see all three persons of the Trinity present? right? So we have Jesus, the Son of God, who is in the water. We have the Holy Spirit of God in bodily form, which I don't know exactly what that looks like. I would really love to know what that looks like, and I'm pretty sure the second I take my first breath in heaven, that question will be answered. But we have the Holy Spirit of God descending on him like a dove, and then we have God the Father's voice coming from an open heaven saying, you are my dearly loved Son, and you bring me great joy. Can you remember another time in Scripture where you saw all three parts of the Trinity present. Well, just to give you an idea about this, um, maybe not an idea, I'll just go ahead and tell you what it is. All three persons of the Trinity were present at creation. And you have to know, you've got to know when you're reading it, who is playing what role. And it's very interesting, but we have God, the father bringing all parts of creation necessary together. You can kind of think of it like he's brought all the ingredients together to bake the cake. Right. And then it says, but the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And that word hover is uh, the Hebrew word rakaf, which means to vibrate back and forth quickly, bringing the energy of life. Right. So that's like the heat in the moment. And then God, the son says, let there be light. We can, we can back that up with scripture because it says by him and for him, all things were made talking about Jesus himself, the son of God. So we have all three persons of the Trinity present in creation and in baptism. So these are really, really cool moments, but, but I just want you to know that Jesus modeled physical baptism in this moment. And in the midst of that moment revealed what the baptism of the Holy spirit looks like, and that this actually is for us. He modeled obedience and baptism. And then he showed when the Holy Spirit comes and baptizes you, it is a resting upon. In other gospels, um, they use the language. um, uh, Actually, I think it's in in Luke chapter 24, that the Holy Spirit fills or clothes you with power from on high. In John, uh, it says that the Holy Spirit rested on him. And that word means that it remained, that it abides on him. And so... This is both the physical baptism and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, I, I'm gonna go back to this and just say, maybe like maybe you're like me. Maybe you grew up in a really traditional church background and this is the first time that you've even heard anything about the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you still want more understanding. Well, the great news, ladies, is this. We're actually gonna start a series this next weekend at New Life on the Holy Spirit. It's gonna be a three-part series. And so Pastor Rick or your local campus pastor is going to be teaching on the Holy Spirit. And we did not plan the timing of this. I just got to let you know this. We did not plan the timing of how we divided up our weeks um, in this sisterhood study but we believe it's divinely inspired by God and that God is having a moment for the church where he is ready to breathe his power on the church again. And for those who are desiring him, he will not withhold himself. And so if that's you and you are wanting more of the, the power of God so that you can operate in his power and bring the gospel every place that you set your feet, Then I just want to say it's just as simple as asking Jesus, would you baptize me with your Holy Spirit? Just a simple prayer. And if you ask for it, the Bible says he will give it to you now maybe you're listening and this is the first time you're really hearing about any of this but you realize you don't have a relationship with jesus i just want to encourage you that um that the bible says that those who confess with their mouth that jesus is lord and believe in their heart that god has raised him from the dead you will be saved this is the moment of salvation for some and so if you or at a place where you are wanting to give your life to Jesus, or as our Kid Life pastors would say, make Jesus the boss of your life, just a simple prayer that you can pray is, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, and I cannot save myself, but I know that you died for me, and so I choose to accept your sacrifice on my behalf. Now come in and be my Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, ladies. Um, So we will be back next week. I pray that God has piqued your interest in his word in some way, shape, or form um, in in this message. And uh, I just want to give you two options, two research points that you can look up. We have 77 names in the lineage of Jesus at the end of chapter three. And also, I wanna just, I wanna tell you for anyone who wants to research this, research the similarities between John and Jesus, between John the Baptist and Jesus, because John, we know, is the forerunner of Christ, meaning he's the one calling out, prepare the way of the Lord. But John's life actually foreshadowed a great deal of the life of Jesus. And so I just wanna say, next week when we come back, I'm actually gonna ask, did anybody research any of this? And see what anyone has to say. Uh, And there might be a little treat uh, on the line. So I love you, ladies. I pray that you go in the power of the Holy Spirit and that you are blessed in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. We'll see you next week.